a desert planet with twin suns. Why do I sense we've picked up another pathetic life form? Use my knowledge. Much to learn. You still Welcome back to Twin Sun Talks, folks. I'm your host, Jonah Liu. Thank you so much for listening, and welcome to our Tales of the Jedi review. This has been a long time coming. I pushed it back a couple weeks because I've been really busy, and I have a lot that I want to say about this because I really love this series, and I really can't wait to talk to you all about it. So without further ado, let's dive into I Have Spoken. I Have Spoken. So in case you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to start with my non-spoiler thoughts, and the rest of the episode is going to be full spoiler uh, breakdown and then followed by my review of the series as a whole. So my non-spoiler thoughts are, I feel like A, the animation is absolutely immaculate, as it always is when it's in this Clone Wars style of animation. The music is incredible as well. I felt like it was really high quality, especially for something that could have been considered to be a smaller inconsequential project. I thought that they went above and beyond and thought it was really fantastic. I thought that these stories were very well told and are some of the best pieces of Star Wars content I've seen in a very long time. I really want more seasons as soon as possible. I think that more Jedi deserve this kind of treatment. And I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to watch this as soon as possible. Um, because, honestly, I love this series of shorts so much. Um, so with that said, the rest of this episode is going to have spoilers. So this is your spoiler warning. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. Let's dive in. So, Tales of the Jedi was an animated series of shorts that were all under 20 minutes long and told the stories of both Ahsoka Tano and Count Dooku, and three episodes were dedicated to each character, and I'm just going to be going through each of them, giving my thoughts, giving some little Easter eggs that I found interesting, and then at the very end, I'm just going to give my thoughts on the series as a whole. So, the first episode is called Life and Death. This is my least favorite episode out of all of them. I don't really have much to say about this, but what I do have to say is it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, all of these episodes are beautiful, but this episode has just sort of natural beauty because of its setting and its tone. Um, As far as Star Wars stuff, it's not like super interesting, but thematically it's pretty cool. Life and death coexist, and sometimes violence will only make things worse. And it also helps to have... Um, mystical powers that can help you beast tame. But, like, you know, it it is cool to see that Ahsoka was very innately powerful. She was able to commune with and control this wild space saber-toothed tiger. Um, And it just kind of is a testament to how powerful she is um, just in the long run. So, it's a cool episode. That being said, I wish that we saw Plo. Shout out to my brother Jeb, who is massively salty about this if you don't know this already Plo Koon who's a Jedi uh, Jedi master on the council finds Ahsoka and brings her to the temple I definitely thought that we would see that in this episode I thought that we were going to get a little time jump and see that happen he's like Ahsoka is Jedi and then we cut to when she's a little older and then Plo Koon comes and finds her um And I don't know. I think that it's a missed opportunity that that story didn't get to be told on screen. And I just think that Plo's a great character and definitely deserved to have a story centered around him. And this was a perfectly organic way to make that happen, which feels like wasted potential. But that's just me. I don't think this story was necessarily a waste, but I do feel like it could have been... I, I get it. It's like Ahsoka learned to confront death at a young age. It's just a rite of passage. 
I don't know. I feel like you could have done a little more to weave in some more significance to her greater story, but that's just me. Um, that being said, that's all I have to say about episode one. Episode two is called Justice. This is the first of the episodes in the arc um, surrounding Dooku. We get to see a young Qui-Gon Jinn who is actually played by Liam Neeson's son. And Qui-Gon is the moral voice of the pair. He seems much more by the book than he is once he's a Jedi Knight in The Phantom Menace. And at the very end, we see that Qui-Gon was just trying to think in the moment. And um, Dooku says that that makes him very wise. And... This kind of mirrors the sentiment that Qui-Gon says to Obi-Wan at the beginning of The Phantom Menace, where he says, don't center, don't focus on your anxi- anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your focus here and now. Uh, focus on the moment, essentially. So, cool little tie-in there. The planet that Dooku and Qui-Gon go to looks a lot like Corvus in The Mandalorian Season 2. That's where Din Djarin found Ahsoka Tano, and where they uh, defended the town against the Magistrate and her t- tyranny. The true name of the planet is unknown, but the vibes were pretty similar. Um, senator Dagonet, uh, who's the senator who has kind of laid waste to this planet, he shows the corruption in the Senate and how little those in power really care about their people. And now, obviously, there were exceptions to that, like with Padme, with Bail Organa, with Mamothma, but there was a lot of um, corruption within, within the Senate, and that was a big issue, and that was a big reason for the separatist movement in the Clone Wars, was because people didn't feel that the Senate was protecting the best interest of the people of the Republic. They felt like they were very self-centered and were serving, servicing more the upper class, the elite, um, and kind of disregarding the everyday person. Now, let's take a look at Dooku in this episode. He this episode kind of shows how he becomes or starts to become disillusioned with the way the Republic and the Jedi operate. Um, he wishes to serve the people of the Republic, not the Senate. Um, we see him force choking Senator Dagonet and forcing Qui-Gon away, um, kind of showing dark side tendencies a little bit. And just that idea of that corruption like yours must be eradicated. That's not a very Jedi principle. That's very um, aggressive and he tends to take matters into his own hands, which is which is not a, the Jedi way, but it is a Dooku way. And he tends to put his ideals and his um, opinions above those of any sort of doctrine that he might be expected to sub- subscribe to, which I think is an interesting way to flesh out his character a little bit more. Moving on from episode two into episode three, which is titled Choices. Mace Windu's in this episode, so you know... I mean, I, I love Mace Windu content, and I hope that in the future we might get Tales of the Jedi surrounding Mace Windu, but, you know, who knows. Um, both Jedi Masters who are not on the Council yet. So it's kind of interesting to see them operating within those roles. Mace is devoted to rules. Uh, he also kills in this episode with very little remorse because it's in self-defense, but you see just sort of that Jedi desensitization to that sort of violence because it's like, well, he shouldn't have attacked me. I didn't want to kill him, but I had to. Um, at, the, at the end of this episode, he also ascends to the Council instead of Dooku, so I'll talk a little bit more about that when I talk about Dooku. But um, we also get to see Raxus, which is it's very interesting to see it before the Clone Wars, and just see how it was already problematic and rebellious, because Raxus was actually the capital of the Confederacy of Independent Systems, or the Separatist Alliance, during the Clone Wars. So, 
to see that that it was kind of leading the charge and was already sort of tending towards rebellion or just at least standing up to to the Republic seemingly years before the Clone Wars, many years. I just think that's rather interesting. Um, We also got to see Raxus a little bit in the Clone Wars and again in the Bad Batch. So uh, this is not the first time that we visited it, but it's cool to see it within the context of that time frame. Master Khatri is the Jedi who was killed on assignment on Raxus. She was a Malaran woman, like Luminar and Dooley and Uh Her funeral had Plo Koon, CC10. Um, Mundi was actually presiding over the funeral, and he had this really weird um, hood for his robe that, like, I don't know. It's just kind of funny because he has the, the big head. Um, there was also Terra Sanu, Beja Kostanu, and Yoda, along with, of course, Dooku and Mace, with a lot of other... Jedi sort of in the background that I'm sure some of them have names, but a lot of them were kind of just background filler. Um, Dooku, of course, is the center of this episode. His unorthodox methods helped to uncover the true extent of the plot. If they had just gone by Mace's by-the-book mentality, then they wouldn't have discovered that the guards had sort of usurped the existing authorities on the planet, and they were working to push their own agendas. Um, and we see, again, that Dooku chooses to use intimidation rather than diplomacy. He activates his lightsaber before trying to talk things out with the guards. And he sees the motivation of the guards as understandable, but he doesn't, he doesn't subscribe to their methods. He sees that the Jedi don't act in the best interest of the people, but rather for the elite. And he encourages protection of their planet and evolution of their ideology. And he asks the question to Mace, which is just kind of the fundamental question that informs his decision to leave. He asks, do you think the Jedi will truly keep peace if they continue to take everything the Senate says as law? Mace counters that they are guided by the council and not by politics, which is very flawed and arrogant because the council acts directly under the Senate and at the behest of the Senate. So, and we see by the time of the Clone Wars that they have completely sort of lost control and are trying to very desperately to maintain it. And that ends up being their downfall. But, um... In the end, at the end of the episode, Dooku seems very resentful of Windu t- for taking the council spot. Um, and obviously doesn't trust the council's judgment. Seems very bitter when he's like, of course, Master Jedi. But it's, it, it is interesting to see them working together because they were really good friends. And this is a big reason for why Windu didn't kill Dooku during the Battle of Geonosis whenever he first comes up. He had the element of surprise. He could have taken him out. And I think that this sort of adds a whole new level of gravitas and meaning to that scene where Windu uses intimidation and hopes that Dooku will step down and ultimately he doesn't. But I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And I've, I've done a whole episode about how Windu blames himself for the Clone Wars in the first place, but it's, it's just a great time. And I thought that this episode was really well done. Moving on to episode four, called The Sith Lord. I have the most to say about this episode because it's probably my favorite. It's really, really well done, um, and I just love it so much. This one and episode five are probably my two favorites of this entire series. Um, 
First of all, I want to talk about Camino and Jocasta New. Dooku impersonates Sifo Dyas to eliminate Camino from the Jedi Temple archives. Sifo Dyas is already dead, so that kind of helps us understand where we are in the timeline so far. This shows why Obi Wan can't find Camino in Attack of the Clones. And in Attack of the Clones, Jocasta New, the Temple librarian, says that if it doesn't appear in their archives, then it doesn't exist. That arrogance is likely what makes it so easy for Dooku to erase Kamino entirely in the first place. The Jedi don't consider the possibility that one of their own would sabotage them in such a way, which is extremely naive and arrogant. And, I don't know, I think that it's kind of a cool detail that it's easy for Dooku to just go in and be like, okay, this is gone, good stuff. And there's no, like, vetting process. No one notices that sifo code is used, even though he's been dead. And so, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. People have been calling calling it lazy writing, but I think that it, it could have more meaning than that. Qui-Gon, he's played by Liam Neeson. Rep- he reprises his role. He encountered a Sith Lord on Tatooine. So we know that this takes place during The Phantom Menace. Obviously, this is referring to Qui-Gon's first encounter with Darth Maul. He doesn't seem to be believed by the Jedi. Jocasta attributes this encounter to imagination, and Qui-Gon's also not validated by the Council, as we know in the movie. Um, and we also learn that Qui-Gon was born on Coruscant, which um, may or may not be a rank of master question, rank, wink, wink, for anyone who will be coming on the podcast and taking that quiz. And he's very interested in the tree, this famous tree, it's known as the Great Tree because Coruscant is such an urban and industrial planet that um, there's no real legitimate vegetation. So I thought that was a cool detail. Um, Yaddle. It's really interesting to see her because we don't really see her do much of anything. She's only in The Phantom Menace and then she doesn't. She, she she's not back in Attack of the Clones, so we don't really know what happens in between. But um, she's played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who directed some episodes of The Mandalorian, as well as The Book of Boba Fett, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, The Council doesn't want to cause undue harm, but Yaddle does believe Qui-Gon. And another detail is that she doesn't talk like Yoda. Dave Filoni says that um, they use the idea that it's not something specific to the species, rather something that Yoda does to honor his master. So that's the reason why Yaddle doesn't speak backwards like Yoda does. But she is one of three members of the species that have been represented on screen. Um, the three being Yoda, Yaddle, and Grogu. So, interesting stuff. I thought that Bryce Dallas Howard um, portrayed her very well. Moving on to Palpatine. He has his classic meeting space in the works. We see him meeting there in Attack the Clones. Um it's this like industrial, underdeveloped part of Coruscant that's kind of out of the way. And Ian McDermott is the best thing ever. He didn't voice Palpatine in The Clone Wars, but it just, it adds so much. Like, he doesn't even have that many lines, but it's just like, he's so menacing and evil. And it's just like, it is just, mm, chef's kiss, perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Everything about it. I loved it so much. Dooku had foretold this coming darkness and was not taken seriously, much like Qui-Gon. He also hasn't met Obi-Wan yet, which I find interesting and I'm going to theorize on later. The soundtrack when Dooku is looking at the Great Tree after Qui-Gon's death is so good. It's so 
it's it's very melancholy, but also foreboding. The thunder rumbling in the background. It's just oh, I, I you could I just love. He's brooding. He's infuriated by the council not taking Qui Gon's word more seriously because maybe he would have lived more Jedi had been there to encounter any potential Sith that might be out there. And he's mad at Sidious for letting Maul kill Qui-Gon. And that line, you lost an apprentice and so did I. Such is the way of things. Um, and it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. Oh my goodness. And then the confrontation. Yod- or Yaddle is the embodiment of the Jedi here. Jedi hubris. She believes that she can solve this matter herself. She doesn't call for backup or try to send a transmission to the Jedi. She decides that she is enough and that she could bring Dooku back and take Sidious down. And this is the major flaw of the Jedi. They're focused on the immediate danger rather than the bigger picture. Dooku is heartbroken that Yaddle knows of his alliance with Sidious. You hear it in his voice and he knows what must be done. He knows, and he understands that the Jedi blindly serve a corrupt Senate which portrays the Republic that it's meant to protect, and that he must kill Yaddle to prove his loyalty to Sidious. This goes against his tendencies later. Obviously, Sidious is there, and Sidious tells him to do it, so he has to. But in the Clone Wars, he tends to try to turn Jedi to his side and enlighten them, get them to join uh, his cause, rather than killing them, uh, because in the end, his vision for victory is essentially recreating a new order where the Jedi would serve him um, and help him maintain order that he talks about in this in this episode. But, um, but we we see that he's already taken the plunge. I'm afraid. I'm afraid it's too late. It's such a good line, such a good delivery. The score in the scene, so good. The score in this episode was just mm, the best thing ever. Yaddle tries to appeal to Dooku. Um, she stepped down from her position on the council, acknowledges that Dooku has been correct and overlooked, but this is too little too late. Um, after Dooku uh, drops the door on her, Yaddle rises one last time. Sidious sort of hides his face from the light, but ultimately on her own, Yaddle wasn't enough to let the light in. That end... Guys, it was so dark and upsetting. We get to see more of the cruel Dooku that we know in the Clone Wars. Palpatine's smile is just chilling, but it's just like, oh my gosh, I figured that she was just going to be dead from the door. But that's so, this end is so much more personal. Oh, that's great. Huh. Got chills thinking about it. Ugh. Last thing I want to talk about is Dooku Jedi Lost. It's a really great audiobook. Would encourage that you listen to it. It's only an audiobook. It's not an actual novel, if I'm not mistaken, because it's read by a full cast. Um, so it's more of an experience. It's really good. And it talks about Dooku and sort of it goes back and forth between during the Clone Wars when Asajj Ventress is on a mission for Dooku and the past where Dooku is friends with Safu Diaz. He's go- growing up in the Order, uh, moving up through the ranks, all that stuff. So... It's pretty interesting, um, but this seems to contradict the ending of the book because it's unclear. Well, okay, it's unclear if it's a true retcon because at the end of the book, Dooku leaves the Jedi to become the Count of Serena, which is his home world. 
Qui-Gon is still alive, and this takes place before the Phantom Menace. At least that's the implication in the book. And obviously, Duke is back at the temple during the events of the Phantom Menace, so it's, it's a little fuzzy, but I think that there's a way that this still could work. So Dooku uses sifo code to erase Kamino rather than his own. This could imply that he doesn't have clearance codes anymore, so maybe he would have to. Maybe he's just trying to cover up his tracks, but maybe, I, I don't know, that, that could be part of it. In a recent novel, it seems to imply that Dooku visited the temple time and again, so it wasn't completely out of place for him to be there, because it doesn't seem like Yaddle, Qui-Gon, or Dracosta are overly surprised to see him. He also hasn't met Obi-Wan before. And this is playing, taking place during The Phantom Menace. So, Obi-Wan's been apprenticed to Qui-Gon for a very long time at this point. Also, Master and Apprentice, I'm pretty sure Dooku isn't in the Order anymore, and it seems like Qui-Gon has tried to communicate with him. He hasn't been able to. So... I would think that if Dooku was still in the Jedi Order, he would have likely met Obi-Wan by that point because they meet for the first time and attack the clones. Um, his garb is also slightly different than previous episodes, which means he could be no longer wearing the traditional Jedi robes and is rather doing the more elegant Count Regalia. Um, either way, it still puts the ending of Dooku Jedi Loss into question a little bit at the same time. I think until Dave uh, actually clears this up, which I'm sure he will eventually because people have questions about it, I think that it's still safe, but it does muddy the waters a little bit. So put a pin in that. We'll see where it goes. Episode 5, Practice Makes Perfect. Once again, one of my favorite episodes of this. It's, I think the, the Sith Lord probably takes the cake, but this is second place. Very close second. The training scene at the beginning. Terrace Anube is overseeing Ahsoka's training. We get to see mullet Obi-Wan, which is awesome. He's closer to his Attack the Clones design with his Clone Wars armor on. The animation's so clean. It looks awesome. Kanan and Depa are watching. Kanan, or it's Caleb at this point, is one of the main protagonists from Star Wars Rebels. Um, and Depa Balaba is both Mace Windu's Padawan and Kanan's master. She dies during Order 66. And the Bad Batcher nearby, we see that at the very beginning of that show. Mace, Yoda, and Plo Koon are also present. Um, so that's just kind of breaking down who's in that scene. Ahsoka and Anakin. They are redesigned to be more similar to their Season 3 designs. Uh, Ahsoka doesn't have quite re of, as revealing of an outfit, which is probably for the best. Uh, she's much closer to her uh, uh, Season 3 look. And uh, Anakin is slightly redesigned as well. He has shorter hair. I think it just all looks cleaner. It looks great. They're still butting heads pretty aggressively. The relationship hasn't developed as far as by the end of the Clone Wars, or at least like whenever like the later like Mortis arc period of time has happened. Anakin doesn't want to train her like just quote unquote any other Jedi, and this literally saves her life. So let's move on to the clones. The initial part of this training sequence. They're training in the same military base that Ahsoka will later be wrongfully imprisoned in, which I feel like is pretty poetic. Rex is back, as well as the other members of the 501st. Jesse is there in unmarked Phase 1 armor. I'd like to ask the question, how many stun bolts can a person take before like permanent brain damage is done? But like, oh well, I'm sure Anakin knows what he's doing. Um, 
Anakin is extremely hard on her because he truly wants to protect her. He feels that the Jedi aren't, aren't appropriately equipping her for battle. Droids aren't half as good as Rex's men. They're predictable. They're stupid. Organics have a certain intuition that machines don't have. And this quote, I mean, it's just perfect. The best way that I can protect you is to teach you to protect yourself. And that's just, that encompasses everything. And we transition to her later design, and it's so cool. The clones are now in phase two armor. Um, they're on board a Venator Star Destroyer. She has her Soto Saber, so she has two lightsabers now. And it shows how intense this training has been because it's spanned multiple years. And she does the same moves that we see her use to survive Order 66. If you look at the second to last episode of The Clone Wars Season 7, she uses these same moves against these same troops after the Siege of Mandalore when Order 66 is enacted. And she's eventually taken down by Rex. And is actually extra surpri surprised by his betrayal, which is a nice little sprinkling of foreshadowing because Rex's betrayal is probably what hurts her the most during Order 66. And then we get to Order 66. That scene has literally made me cry multiple times at this point. Rex is so much of an older brother to her. Anakin isn't there anymore. The emotional gravity of that in Season 7 is just at, it just adds to it. I teared up watching it to make this review. It's so perfect and beautiful. I love it so much. That show means so much to me. So to just get a little nugget of it again and to get that extra context for what that truly means to Ahsoka and to Rex, it was just kind of overwhelming for me. So I love it. It's really great. And I love this show. I love this franchise. It's just fantastic. Moving on to the final episode called Resolve, episode six. We open on Padme's funeral. Padme is made to look pregnant so people wouldn't know that she had the kids. There would be less um, less of a, a stir about where did Padme's kids end up. The Empire wouldn't be trying to hunt them down. Bail, Organa, and Mon Mothma are there. Ahsoka is just very sad in this sequence. She's Just the way that she delivers the line, she was my friend about Padme, and I'm tired of fighting. You can just tell how much of a toll the, the entire experience has taken on her, which obviously it would. She thinks she's lost everything. And she basically has. And then they leave with, she leaves with Rex in the same Y-Wing that they took at the end of Season 7. Uh, and then we transition to her living her life after Order 66. And now, I want to talk about the Ahsoka novel. It's contradicted in so many ways. Ahsoka doesn't interact with Bale until the last act of the novel. He didn't even know that she survived until then. The showdown with the Inquisitor is completely different too. It was also already retconned heavily by the Siege of Mandalore arc in Season 7 of the Clone Wars, so I'm not incredibly torn up about it, but I know some people like it a lot, so I want to at least acknowledge it. Dave seems to be more concerned about telling the best story possible than he is about con contradicting non-visual lore, meaning novels. Um, basically anything other than the, the TV shows and movies. Say what you will, I don't have too many issues with it as long as a good story is being told, but I do know that it's important and a sore topic for some people. So I want to at least acknowledge it and say people are upset by it, and I understand why. For me personally, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a good novel, so I get why people would be upset by it. Ashla. 
This is Ahsoka's Elias. It's also the name that ancient Force users used for the light side of the Force. It was originally going to be her name before Ahsoka was decided upon. Um, and she's also pretty not discreet about using her Force powers, but oh well, I guess. She is obviously not trying to get involved with people in order to protect them and herself uh, so she can kind of get out of Dodge on short notice if need be. The villagers, they provide interesting context about how different people feel about the Empire. Some welcome the Empire, saying they bring peace and safety. Others can't keep up with quotas and don't agree with the persecution that they perpetuate. So just kind of cool. It's almost like the Andor perspective where some people like the Empire, some people don't. Just kind of that cool nuance that we don't get much in the movies where it's just like the Empire is bad, the Rebellion is good. No, there are some people that that actually were in favor of the Empire. So I just think that's a cool thing to see. The Inquisitor. One of the sickest character designs that I've ever seen. He could be the sixth brother who confronts Ahsoka in the novel. Could be someone else. Super menacing and awesome. It's unclear what the species is, but his head deflates when he's struck down. So it could be something fun and different. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but could be kind of spicy. The fire animation is so well done, set an excellent tone. The way Ahsoka takes him down is so clean and beautiful. It shows that she's on an entirely different level. We see that in Rebels as well, but she's doing this without a lightsaber. So, I mean, she also deactivates, like she grabs his lightsaber and deactivates it and takes it, strikes him down. Absolute baller move, if I do say so myself. And she also just sees how practical and smart she is. She can't draw, draw out that fight at all. She needs to take him down quickly because you can't mess around if you don't have a lightsaber and he does. So that's also how she gets her purified lightsaber crystals. She's going to take that lightsaber. She's going to purify those crystals that have been bled. And that's where she gets her iconic white blades from. So cool little detail there. Also, Bale needs to be way more discreet. Like somehow I think that someone would have noticed one of his ships traveling to the site of an Inquisitor death after a Jedi was supposedly spotted there. And that would raise some sort of red flag, but maybe Bale's just really sneaky. But we see Fulcrum being born. Ahsoka's back in the Galactic Theater, and she's joining the Rebellion as a informant, uh, as we see in Star Wars Rebels. So, that being said, my review. This is a million out of ten. I love it so much. This was more than I could have ever hoped for for this project, and all I have to say is we need more. We could do something about Mace Windu, Plo Koon, Quinlan Vos, Sifo Dyas, The Old Republic, Luke. There are so many opportunities to dive into so many characters. Also, we could do something like Tales of the Sith, Bounty Hunter shows, spinoffs galore. This could go in so many directions, and all of them are awesome. I'm just saying. Like, I just, like, I, I, I don't know. Dave Filoni knows what fans want and should be given far more credit and creative agency and priority from Lucasfilm than he seems to have been given up, to, up until this point. These stories add so much depth and beauty to these characters and did it in a very condensed amount of time. It turned Dooku from a villain into a villain with like real fleshed out motivation rather than a one-dimensional shoehorned-in antagonist living in Darth Jar Jar's shadow, which I'm a huge Darth Jar Jar Theory subscriber, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Ahsoka's story has been told, so I was less excited for it, but she's a very beloved and marketable character so i understand why they did it the episode where she was training was awesome i definitely welcome the arc i love ahsoka as a character but i just feel like 
we've kind of spent a lot of time with her, so I would have preferred learning about someone else. All in all, the series is already very near and dear to my heart, and I'm definitely going to be going back and comfort watching uh, this moving forward. So if somehow anyone from Lucasfilm finds this and listens this far, please do more. I beg of you. I, I, this is a gold mine. You've hit gold. Do more, please. That's all they have to say, but this wouldn't be a proper episode if I didn't leave you with just a little bit more. What I have for y'all today is that Dooku actually had two siblings named Ramil and Jenza, and we get to know them in the novel Dooku Jedi Lost. So, cool little tidbit. Um, I'm sure I'll do a character profile over Dooku in the future, so stay tuned for that, but that won't be for a while. Um, that being said, make sure you stay tuned this week. Uh, we are, we have three episodes left in Andor, so we're winding down there. I'm going to have a review and breakdown on Wednesday. And yeah, it's going to be a great time. We got a lot of great content coming out and, uh, thank you for sticking with me. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Twinsome Talks, subscribe to us on YouTube, Twinsome Talks podcast, and listen and follow wherever you get your podcast by searching Twinsome Talks. Uh, share this with anyone who you think would enjoy it. That would mean a lot, and it's probably the most helpful thing that you could ever do uh, in support of this podcast. So I uh, appreciate y'all, and that being said, you've taken your first steps into a larger world. May the Force be with you, and I'll see y'all in the next episode. Bye, friends.